Well, I was trying to do the math, and it was about 20 years ago. I'm, I'm slowly getting old. Uh, my friends and I, we decided we were going to build a fort. Now, we were, we were master fort builders. Not really, but we were into it. Any, any guys or gals, when you were younger, you would just build forts in the woods. Like, we made lean-tos. I just like cutting down trees. I don't know. Don't hate me. If you're part of Greenpeace, don't judge me. I just like cutting down trees back in those days. I like borrowing my dad's axe because I could. And uh, I remember we got this idea. We are going to build our greatest masterpiece yet. And we had this plan that we just mapped it out in our minds. It was going to be a three-story camp complex. We were a little older now, so we decided to go like way in the backwoods, like a kilometer deep so that mom and dad couldn't like yell and say it's time for supper. Like we'd get out of range, you know? And so we like went way in the deep backwoods of Marysville and uh, in Fredericton. And we, we were back there and I, we spent the entire summer fabricating this amazing, what was going to be in our minds anyway, amazing triple-decker camp complex. I mean, we had rooms designated in our minds, and we had what we were going to do with it. It was going to have Wi-Fi and cell tower. No, we, that, didn't, that stuff didn't even exist back then, right? But we had this amazing idea, and we spent the bulk of our summer from morning till night working on this camp complex that we were going to build. And by the end of the summer, we had finished the floor. Yeah. And, uh, we, you know, we, we just, we gathered everything we could. We got our dad's scrap wood and we borrowed our dad's tools and cut down trees and tied them to other trees. And it was just not, not safe, not at all. And uh, we, were, we were up there one day and we were about to start talking about, well, should we put up some walls? And I don't know whether a leaf fell or my dog jumped up on with us. But in a moment, the whole thing just came down with a mighty crash. Like it just went down. And I learned something that day, and it has continued to this day. A master builder, I am not. God has not given me the gift of being able to look at something. I, I am not a handyman at all. And I am mildly jealous of you guys who can just take something and make something out of it. I, I kind of, I'm jealous about that because I don't have that. And, I, and just... Just, just between us, I'm mildly sensitive about it. <laughs> my wife knows that. She knows don't go there because my manhood gets tested when, when it gets into handyman stuff. She'll say, my, like, trying to be helpful, kind of sweet, mildly condescending things like, oh, honey, you're good at other things. <laughs> I'm a man. My, my kids have even picked up on this. A couple weeks ago, we dropped my son off to have a play date with his buddy Landon, who's Pastor Dave Mason's son. And Dave, since he's been uh, doing a new career, he's been learning how to do construction. He's been working with Ross Fowler, building stuff, and he's gotten better and better at that. And he built his son, Landon, and his daughter, Lila, this amazing, like, treehouse in his backyard. It's just beautiful. And my son went there that afternoon and played with it and played in it. And on the, way, on the drive home, he's like, Dad... Landon's dad built him the best treehouse. It's got a roof and a rope, and it, you can lower the rope, and it's got, like a, it's got a door, a trap door. It's awesome. And I think my, my six-year-old boy was like sensing the tension and the utter humiliation in the car, and he kind of broke the silence with, it's okay, dad. You build stuff too. <laughs> you built that ramp into the shed. <laughs> like, yeah, I did. 
Well, no, I, I, just, I just have realized something in my life, and I've accepted defeat on this area. I can't be good at everything, right? I, 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 I can't, I'm just not handy, but I'm not the only one. I did, I did my ego some, some good, and I looked online to find some people who might struggle with building, and I found a few building fails. I thought anybody who attends this college is going to be struggling. I'm just, I'm just saying. That's incredible. That, we can just, that's a sermon in itself right there. Uh, I thought this guy who, this, this just seems smart to me, this guy on the left. You know, you could charge your phone and get a fresh glass of water at the same time. Makes perfect sense. I don't even have words for who the guy was that did those trees. That's just, I don't even know. Uh, this next one I thought was hilarious. Imagine snow blowing that driveway. Wow. You, you need a Jeep and a lift kit to get into your to get into your garage. And then I just thought this last one was funny too. This guy was great. Hey, this will be great. Kids, jump on the, on the elephant. Yeah, I mean, there are, there are some funny building fails and not all of us are able to build and fabricate with our hands, but let's just get a little more serious. In our world, there's some pretty high stakes when it comes to engineering. I know there's a lot of you guys that are engineers, a lot of carpenters here, and, and it's not really a laughing matter when it comes to some, some like uh, structural issues and bad carpentry and bad building and bad engineering. A lot of the time that can cost people their lives. I mean, we saw that, we've, lots of great disasters in history. I mean, the Titanic comes to mind. The engineering behind that, they thought this was gonna be an unsinkable ship. We've got all the right components. We've built together something that will not sink. And then of course, we all know the story. It sunk and it claimed hundreds of lives. There's just been disaster after disaster of human error when it came to building something that ended up costing life. And when it comes to our actual lives, our day-to-day -day lives, it's not so different. There is a piece of engineering and, and, and building that goes together in building our lives. And if we're honest with ourselves, uh, it's a struggle to build a life that will last. It's a struggle to build a life of integrity, of strength. It's a, it's a struggle to build a life of meaning. It's a struggle to build a life that will hold up in thick and thin and through the winds and waves. That's, that's a difficult thing. And many of us, maybe you're handy with your hands, but when it comes to your life, you have no idea how to build it. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe you have no idea how to keep your family together. Maybe for you, your finances are broken. And for whatever reason, you just can't make it fix and make it work. There, there are struggles in our lives that all of us know all too well when it comes to the building structure of our lives. And here's something I know to be true. You may not be, uh, the, you might not be guilty for everything in your life. There are some things outside of your ability to control that have happened to you or maybe you've come up against. But I do know one thing, that your life is the sum of the parts of the components you have built together. And that God wants us to build a life that will last forever. Today I want to talk to you about this idea of building on the word. On the word. We're now in our second week called the Code of Kings. And this is a series where we're looking essentially at the blueprint of who we are. We're rolling it out there and we're saying, here are the structural foundational things on which we are building King's Church. This is who we are and this is why we do what we do. And so for the next 10 weeks, we're going to look at these core essential values that we're calling Code. The Code of Kings. Last week we talked about for king and kingdom, that everything we do is ultimately for the glory of God and for the expansion of the kingdom. Amen? Do we get that one? If you missed it, go back and watch it. Because if you're going to be part of us, this is DNA stuff. This is important, important stuff. This is the most important stuff we've, we've done in a long time. Now this week, we're on our second, our second thing, and that is this. On the word. On the word. The statement goes like this. We stake our lives on the word of God. 
our unshakable foundation, food for our souls, and our weapon in the battle. I heard one amen. We got some work to do. We got some work to do. I'm going to break that down for you. Can you say it out loud with me, though, in faith? We stake our lives on the word of God, our unshakable foundation, food for our souls, and our weapon in the battle. So here's the question. Why would we stake our lives on the word of God? Now, some of you are already wondering, okay, is that hyperbole? Is he using strong language here? No, we literally are saying that our entire existence is founded and stands upon God's word and what God says. We don't build on what culture says. We don't build on what a guy says. We don't build on what our emotions say. We don't build on what our feelings say. We build on the word of God. Everything we do, everything we are is on the word. Now, really quick, I want to help us get an understanding for what the word is. What do we mean by the word, word? I'm going to say the word, word several times in the next three minutes, so just hold on tight. Now, the word, word for, in the church, you've probably heard that. You heard earlier when Pastor Jay was leading worship, he read John 1 and talked about the word, and that is Jesus. The word, word actually has several meanings. English isn't a language that is, is as robust as the language you, was originally the Bible was written in, Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. Uh, the, the, those languages had multiple words for one word so that you could understand different contexts. And so uh, they had multiple words for the word that we use for word. Now, when we say word and what we mean by the word word, this is already getting difficult. <laughs> Stay with me. What we mean when we say word is threefold. First and most obviously, you've probably understood this to some degree. When we say word, we mean what? We mean the Bible. We're talking about the Bible. The Greek word for that is the logos, the scripture, the revealed word. That's what we're talking about. Foundationally and fundamentally, the most easy way to understand when we talk about the word, we're talking about the revealed word of God in the pages of this book. This, pa this is just paper, but what has been communicated and recorded in here is the eternal, infallible, unchanging word of Almighty God right in here. What an incredible gift, Amen. We, we, under, we underestimate the value of these. We, they're so accessible that we think that it's, not, it's no big deal. This is the most important thing you could ever own in your whole life. In fact, if you don't have a Bible today, we've got guys in red shirts all around the room. They'd love to give you one. Why don't you grab one before you go? But so when we say word, we are first and foremost talking about the word as the Bible, the scripture. This is the word of God. This is what God has said. You see, you got to understand something about God. God is a God who speaks. God is not a vast philosophy. I was talking to one guy, he's a, he's a businessman this past week, and, and he was telling me, he said, he said, you're kind of spiritual, aren't you? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you can say that. And he goes, well, you know, I, I'm a, I believe. And he goes, I, I, follow, I follow the Ten Commandments. But he goes, you, like, you think God's here, don't you? I'm like, yeah, I do. See, I believe in a God who's present. I believe in a God who's active. I believe in a God who engages. And the way that God engages, the way that God actually acts in your life is through his word. I, I took a stab at defining the word, word, and, and this, is, this is how I define it. The word is God's active, manifest will and power. Whew, that's good, that's good. No, think about it. The word in the Bible, is God's active, so it's, it's active, manifest. What do I mean by that? It, it, it's, it's, it's tangible, it's substantive, it's, it, it takes on form and shape. It's manifest. It's active, manifest, will and power. 
That's how God actually moves in this world. You, you remember in Genesis, if you ever read the, the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis talks about how God created everything. Do you remember how he did it? By his word. He said, uh, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let there be uh, land, and there was land. When God speaks, stuff happens. Now, you got to get your head out of this is more than just phonics and syllables. This is actually God's active agent that actually brings forth his will. That's what the word is when we understand it. So it's revealed, obviously revealed in the scripture, in these 66 books that were written over a couple, different, a couple millennia through a multitude of different human agents. God wrote this and said these things in the word. But it goes further than that. The word of God also, God can speak here today. God can speak. You, you may have heard somebody come up to you before and say, I have a word for you. Do you know that God can speak through people today? God can speak in dreams. God can speak in visions. God can speak through prophecy. God can speak through driving along and seeing just the scenery and all of a sudden you feel something spoken to you. Have you ever heard God speak to you? Maybe it wasn't audible, but maybe something from within just rattled you to your core. God still speaks. And so we believe that as well. So when we talk about the word, we believe in it as the Bible. We also believe in what's called the rhema word, that God actively speaks. It's a spoken word. And, and listen, I, I just have a hunch that there's a lot of people that grew up completely starving from that gift to the body. That God still raises up people and gives gifts to people that can actually speak his word. And I'll tell you something, when, God, when someone comes up to you and hears from God and says something to you, it rattles you in a way that you've never been rattled in your life, in a good way. It's incredible. Now, here's something I need to, we don't have time to jump in here. Maybe someday we'll just land here. But if someone comes up to you and says, I have a word from God for you, and that word is not congruent with this word, discard it. That is not God's word. Here's something you need to know about God. God never contradicts himself. He does not amend what he says. His word does not change ever. God did not arrive in 21st century and say, yeah, you know what? We've evolved. I'm changing my opinion on that. God's word was true, is true, always will be true. So when we think of the word, we think of it in three ways. It's the scripture. It's God can speak now through, through the rhema word. And it's also just revealed ultimately in who? The answer in church is always Jesus. In Jesus. Jesus is, again, think of my definition, the active, manifest will and power of God. That's who Jesus is. We talked about it last week, didn't we? We said Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He is God in a bod. Right? He is God in a body. That's who Jesus is. He is God's word. So that's what we mean when we say the word. So now that we understand what the word is, we're all tracking? You with me? Why do we see this as foundational? Why is this our second code? Why would I say, we, why would I get up here and say, say words like, we stake our life on the word of God? I'm glad you asked. Three reasons. You ready? Number one is this. The word is our sure foundation. The word of God, God's word, is our sure foundation. It is the foundation on which we build. It is the, the rock on which we stand. It is the, the basis on which we operate. The, the word is our sure foundation. Jesus, one time when he was preaching, it's a famous sermon. It's in your Bible, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And the reason they called it the Sermon on the Mount, they didn't do great with titles in the Bible. Just saying. They didn't need to. It spoke for itself. But he, he went up on a mountainside and preached 
a sermon. So it's a sermon on the mount. And he got up and he preached the greatest sermon that has ever been preached and ever will be preached. I mean, just go home and read that. You read that every week, you do yourself a favor. But Matthew 5 through 7, he speaks about things like the kingdom, and he he reveals knowledge, and he reveals God's heart, and he talks about how to do life, and and he comes to the end of the sermon, and anybody who's been to church, you know that at least if you get the end, you got the main part, right? Like, the the ending is the most important part, correct? Yes. Talk to me. Yeah, the ending is the most important part, and watch what Jesus says at the end of his kingdom manifesto. He says this in verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform miracles in your name. But I'll reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Now watch this, verse 24. He ties it right in with this. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes and torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash, kind of like my floor that I built in the woods. Jesus uses this analogy at the end of his sermon. After he lays out his word, he talks about life and how to do life. He he lays the word down, and then he says, anybody who puts their faith in what I say, meaning if you do what I say, you're wise. You're, You're building on solid rock that will not be moved, but those who don't are building on sand. Now, what is he talking about? He uses this metaphor, sand. Well, let's think about sand. We're mostly maritimers. We've been on the beach once or twice, correct? Now, what, about, what do we know about sand? Well, one, sand goes with the current, doesn't it? Where the current goes, sand goes. That beach is never the same. You come one day to the next, it's moved, it's morphed, it's changed. The, the wave has carved out new channels in the sand. The, the sand goes wherever the current goes. What else do we know about sand? Well, sand, sand is not lasting, It doesn't remain the same. I mean, you go visit some of the dunes in PEI, or you you see that they shift and they change throughout the winter. They they get blown wherever the wind blows. They just go. And then most of all, we know that sand is not strong, that sand will move under under the weight of your feet, let alone a house, correct? So when Jesus uses this analogy and he says, some of you are building on sand, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about building on anything that won't last. Here's a question. Is sand in and of itself bad? No, it's just not strong. So what are some things that we could talk about that, are, that would be sand? Well, easy, easy, low-hanging fruit, the sand of culture. We don't stand on the truth and authority of culture. That's sand. Why? Because we change our opinion. Popular culture changes every year. And in fact, it's changing monthly now. With the, with the social media and the internets and all that stuff, like it is changing so fast. That's why we don't stand on the authority of what's popular in culture. I don't stand on what's being shared on Facebook. I don't stand on that viral video. I don't stand on what Justin Trudeau says. I don't stand on a politician. I don't stand on what my school board tells me. I stand on God's word. We don't stand on the shifting sands of culture. Here's another one. You, I don't stand on my authority. 
I can't afford to. I can't, we don't, here's shifting sand, your emotions, how you feel, your right to be right. Here's shifting sand, your understanding. A lot of the time we just want to firmly plant our feet in the confines of our understanding. How many of you have lived long enough to know you can't trust that? Like, I have changed my opinion so many times in my life that I have got to find something lasting. Here's what Jesus is getting at. Don't build on anything that will change ever. This is why he says, put your faith and your trust in my word, that the word of God must be your foundation. Why? Because where your foundation goes, your whole life goes with it. That's what he's saying. He's saying sand isn't bad, but it's to be enjoyed in a different way. It cannot substitute as bedrock. And when the wind comes up and the rain comes and the torrent comes, you're going to go where your foundation goes. So don't build on sand. Don't build on things that can change, even good things. Don't build on your success. Don't build on money. Don't build on experiences. Don't build on family. It's to be enjoyed. It's a blessing, but the one who plants their existence of their soul on a member of the family, what happens when they go? What do you have left? Where your foundation goes, your whole life goes. Jesus says, at the bedrock basis on which you stand, the authority on which you stand must be my word because it is the only thing that lasts forever. Think about this. What do you find solid underneath your existence right now? Where will it be 50 years from now? Where will it be 100 years from now? Where will it be 10,000 years from now? You are an eternal soul. You will live forever in some capacity. Your body will die. Your soul goes on. You are an eternal being. So the question is, what is the foundation of your soul and will it last for eternity? That's what Jesus is getting at. Build your life on that which is eternal, on that which is unchanging, on that which will never, ever move. That is the word of God. The word of God, here's, here's why you can trust it. The word of God is true. Amen? The word of God is true. Psalm 33 says, for the word of the Lord holds true. We can trust everything he does. We can trust the word of God. It will not fail. It does not fail. I can testify to that today. I haven't always trusted the word of God, but every time I did trust the word of God, I have yet to walk away from that exchange saying, yep, the word of God failed me. Never happens. The word of God never, ever fails. The word of God is flawless. There's no breaks in it. There's no pieces of the structure of the word of God that's weak or lacks integrity. You're not going to walk to one part of the word of God and find it fall from underneath your feet. The word of God is flawless. There's nothing wrong with it. It's unfailing. Amen? The word of God is unfailing. That's what Isaiah 55 says. So my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty or void, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Unfailing. Isn't that an amazing thing? Some of you just need to hear that today. God's spoken a word to you that you haven't seen come into fruition yet. God's word never fails. His promise always comes true. Hang on to it. It's solid rock. 
It is unfailing. The word of God is everlasting. It never changes. That's why I started out with Isaiah 48. The grass withers. The flowers fade. Your body degrades. Your families change and shift and morph. Your finances come and go. Your fun comes and goes. These things come and they go, but the word of God lasts forever. That's why we stand on it. That's why we build on the word of God because it is the only thing that was, it was what it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It was then, it is now, and it always will be. It is sure, it is fixed, it is unfailing. We stand on God's word. That's been our story as a church. That's what's gotten us here. Think about this. Our church is over 30 years old now. It was launched in 1982. It's uh, significantly different than it was in 1982. Uh, back in those days, did anybody remember church in the mid-80s, early 90s? You remember the day where you'd show up at church and the song leader would come out and he'd have a hymnal and he'd say, all right, what do you want to sing? Remember that? And somebody would say, 141, brother. Remember that? Anybody, anybody do that in church? Yeah, it's like song jackpot. You just open it up and be like, just do this one. We would never let you do that now. Anyway, <laughs> uh, but that has changed. That has changed significantly. The, the music has changed. The style has changed. You know what? There have been multiple thousand people now float through this church in 30 years. People have changed. The body has shifted and morphed. The preaching has changed. We have had five pastors, I think. Multiple. Five, yeah. And what has gotten us here? Why are we here today? Because we have built not on a pastor, not on a style, not on a way we do church, not on a music type, not on, on media. We haven't built on someone's personality. We have built on the word of God. And it was powerful in 1982. It was true in 1989. It was powerful in 1995. It was what it was in year 2000. It was powerful in 2006. It was almighty in 2012. And it is what it is today and always will be. We aren't building on me. We're not building on preaching. We're not building on you. We're not building on a worship team. We're not building on Facebook or multimedia. We build on the word of God because it's everlasting. Come on. That's why, that's why I have the utmost confidence that we're gonna be here 10 years from now, 20 years from now, as long as we keep the word of God at our foundation. We don't build on some personality. We don't build on popular thinking. We don't cave to what culture tells us. We just stand on God's word and it has gotten us through. It is getting us through and it will get us through. And it will for your life too. It's the word of God that brings you through. It's the word of God that never fails. Everything else can come and go. Everything else can rise and fall. The word of God will never fail. I got to hurry up. My time's running out. Number two is this. So we're talking about the word. The word of God is what we build on because it has endurance and staying power. We're talking about the long play, but the word is more to us than just the long play and the end game. The word is more to us than just thinking about building on a foundation that'll last 10,000 years. The word is actually strength for today. The word is actually food for our souls. It is what satisfies us. So, so we build on the word, not just because it grounds us, because it's actually the thing that satisfies us. It's actually grace and food and seed for today. It actually gives us power and sustenance in the here and now. 
The source of our souls, the word, it's what satisfies us. It fills us. It frees us. It, it, it forms us. It shapes us. It draws us closer to God. It brings us meaning. It brings us life, hope, love, joy. This is what the word does. We get that from the word. This is what Jesus meant in John chapter 6. It's an amazing passage. It begins with this great miracle he does. Does anybody remember the miracle where Jesus feeds 5,000 people? In fact, he feeds 20,000 people. The Bible only records 5,000 men. They would have had their wives and children there as well. There was 20,000 people there. They listened to Jesus preach all day long. I got to pull a 10-hour sermon one of these times, just once. <laughs> I want to see how that goes. All day long, Jesus preached because he's that good and no one was getting bored. And at the, near the end of the day, the disciples are like, they walk up to Jesus like, hey, Lord, can you wrap it up? They're getting hungry. No one's eating all day. You should send them away to get some food. And Jesus says, well, you feed them. Say what? <laughs> and, they, and, they, and Jesus says, you feed them. And he, we don't have enough food. And Jesus says, well, what do you have? That's always a great, great question. Jesus asks, what's in your hand? That's another sermon for another day. But what do you have? And they say, well, we got like five loaves of bread and a couple fish. And Jesus says, give it to me. And Jesus takes it and he speaks his word and blesses it. And then he starts breaking it off and he feeds all 20,000 people and there were leftovers. Everyone ate till they were full and there were leftovers. This is an incredible thing that Jesus, the word, does and did. They go from there and Jesus tries to get away with just his disciples. He says, okay, we're going to leave the crowd. We're going to go to the other side of the lake. So you guys meet me over there. I'll meet you there in the morning. They, they, they cross the lake and doesn't the crowd follow Jesus over there? Hey, Jesus, we're here again. And they're all there and Jesus says this to them. He says in John chapter 6, verse 26, I, I, I tell you the truth. You want to be with me because I fed you. Not because you understood the miraculous signs, but don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. Therefore, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants for you. Believe in the one he has sent. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, is Jesus talking about your stomach? No, he's talking about your soul. And he's using this metaphor of bread. Now, we all know in our, in our bodies, your body, you eat and then you get hungry again, right? Chinese food, it happens faster. But we eat and we get hungry. We eat and we get hungry. We eat and we get hungry. This is the rhythm of our life. But Jesus introduces this concept that actually there is a food for your soul that will satisfy you always. Me. Jesus, the word. He says the word of God is bread that does not perish. And this is what we do in life. We get caught in this cyclical search for food that satisfies us. That's why when you thought you got that house that you always wanted, that you'd finally be content, and then you got it and you're oh, hungry again. That's why when you got married and you thought that this would satisfy every longing in my soul, uh, the honeymoon ended and then you realize, oh, there's nothing wrong with my wife, but I'm hungry again. That's why when you got that job and you thought, this is finally where I'm going to find meaning. And you got the job and then you realize, oh, I'm hungry again. The bread of life, Jesus, the word is actually the bread that satisfies. Jesus is saying, I can satisfy the longings and cravings of your soul. That's what we're talking about here. And we say the, the word of God is our soul's food. As we get this into us, it satisfies us. Amen? 
The word is what satisfies us. The word is actually the bread of heaven is what Jesus is talking about. And it's the stuff that brings out soul prosperity. God wants to prosper you. Did you know that? And it might look different than what you think prosperity is. God wants to truly, eternally, forever prosper you. He is a God of never-ending increase. He wants you to flourish like a plant. This is why in Psalm 1, the psalmist said it like this. He said uh, in Psalm chapter 1, it it says, where is it? Right here. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers, but they delight in the law of the Lord, the word of God. They delight in the law of the Lord. Who delights in the law? Well, here it is. They meditate on it day and night. The word meditating there, just a cool fun fact, is the Hebrew word and actually means like to chew, to murmur. Anyway, I thought that was cool. Verse 3 says, they are like, these people who meditate and delight on the law of the Lord, they are like a tree planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Wow. The one who meditates and ingests and receives the word of God, they prosper in everything they do. Whenever, I love it, it says it bears their leaf in in its season. That that no matter what you go through, the word of God has the power to prosper your soul. That's why some of you may have seen somebody go through a horrible season and God brought them through with strength. It's only the word of God that has the power to do that in your life. The word is what prospers you. It is the seed that is planted in your soul that actually brings eternal life and fruitfulness. That's what the word of God does. It grows fruit. That's why it's our daily bread, because you need it to survive. You've got to eat. It also does this. It doesn't, just, it doesn't just prosper you. It actually makes up for what you lack. It's grace deposited in you every day as you come to the Word, as you open yourself up to the Word of God. It's grace in your life. It makes up for what you lack. That's what the miracle of multiplication was all about, wasn't it? When Jesus fed the 5,000, they lacked the food to feed them, and Jesus, the word, got into it, and there was more than enough. What would happen in your marriage in the areas that you're lacking if you started putting the word into it? What would happen in your depression in the areas that you're lacking if you started putting the word into it? You see, when the word of God enters the equation, I've talked about this before, divine mathematics. Your little bit plus your deficit plus the Son of God equals an abundance. We can't preach that today. We don't have time. But I want you to hear that. The Word of God makes up for what you lack. Don't look to things that cannot satisfy. Don't look to imperishable things. Look to the Word to actually satisfy your longing and your craving. So the Word of God is our soul's food. And then last one is this. We build on the word because it's our soul's food. It's our sure foundation. And it is, number three, our supernatural firepower. It's our supernatural firepower. It's not just about being grounded. It's not just about being satisfied. But the word actually makes us armed and dangerous. Armed and dangerous. This is why Jesus made no bones about the fact that we are in a battle. This world we live in, there is opposition against us. There are natural forces that we have to battle against. That's why in the the analogy, he said the the rains came and the winds came and the torrent came. There is opposition in this world. Anybody ever experience it? 
But the Bible actually says that the, the heart of the battle is not natural forces. It's not flesh and blood. It's actually powers and principalities of darkness. This is what Ephesians 6 is talking about. Ephesians 6, Paul says, we war not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities of this dark world. The battle that you are in and the fight that you are in is an eternal, cosmic, spiritual battle. And here's the great news. God has not left you a victim. God has not abandoned you. He has actually equipped you. Paul goes on in Ephesians 6 and he talks about the armor that God has given you that, to protect you. But you aren't just on defense. Did you know that? As a believer, God has equipped us with a weapon. It is the sword of the spirit. It is the word of God. The word of God is a lethal weapon, y'all. It is a weapon in your fight. I'm talking about the real fights. I'm talking about like your fight with depression and despair and anxiety and addiction and control and fear. Those things that at the depths of your soul rage, the Bible, the word of God has power over those spiritual strongholds. That's what 2 Corinthians 10.5 talks about. Where Paul, he says, you know what? We don't wage war as humans do. We fight different. He says, we wage war, though we live in the world, 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we live in the world. We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons of our fight are not the weapons of this world. On the contrary, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. Strongholds, that the word of God has power over the strongholds in your life. Those things that you have been hopelessly bound to, hopelessly tied to, hopelessly defeated in, the word of God has the power over it. Wow. You have a weapon in your life. So many of us, we don't know that. And we kind of just curl up in a ball and hope that it goes away. God has not called you to do that. God has put a weapon in your hand and he's called you to actually start speaking the word and swinging the word into your situation. What happens the next time you're feeling that stronghold of addiction, pulling you to the computer to look at stuff you know you shouldn't look at? What happens if you started speaking the word of God into that situation? What happens the next time that you are feeling despair settle in and hopelessness settle in? What happens if you start speaking the word of God into that situation? It has power to demolish strongholds. That's why we use it. That's why we build on the word because this is our weapon. Come what may, no matter what happens to us, God has equipped us today for the battle. He has not abandoned us and he has given us authority and the power of God's word to take out what comes against us. That's why the Bible says we are more than conquerors. That's why the Bible says that no weapon formed against me shall, shall prosper. Because God has given me a more mighty weapon, his word. Think about what the word can do. The word is the power to save. The word of God is mighty to save. It says in James 1, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Uh, the word has the power to build up, to create Think about this. The word has the power to speak something into you that was not there. Isn't that amazing? I'll tell you a story. Uh, it was probably, it was almost 11 years ago now. I preached my first sermon here on this stage. It looked a little different. It was all maroon and it had all these massive steps. And a lot of ficus back there. <laughs> and I preached my first sermon. And I suspect it wasn't the best ever. Just throwing that out there. And I, I came down off the stage and I did my best and I served my God with all that I had at the time. And uh, Sandra Leach, the sweet lady who, who just has attended our church for years and years, she comes up to me and she kind of, she just tiptoes up and she says, oh, Brent, I don't know, I don't know if I should say, 
I feel like I should tell you, I think you're gonna be our pastor someday. I'll just leave that with you. <laughs> I was 22. We had Pastor Don Ingersoll in his prime with no sign of leaving. That was not on my radar, wasn't even a thought. And she planted the seed of God's word in me that in its time came to be true. And I am the product of men and women and the word of God and his promises coming to me at just the right time, speaking something into my life, creating and building a reality that was not there. What would happen if you started speaking life into your situation, you started speaking the word of God into your marriage, into your finances, into illness, into despair, into depression? The word of God is mighty. It can actually create life where there was no life. That's what the word of God has the power to do. It has the power to create. Now get this, it has the power to destroy. I like that part. It has the power to destroy. The word of God has power over depression. The word of God has power over anxiety. The word of God has power over addiction. The word of God has power over illness. God's word has power over whatever God wants to have power over. God's word has power to destroy. It can demolish plaguing thoughts. It can demolish restlessness. It can demolish fear, anxiety, worry, insecurity. The word demolishes, it destroys. And then last but not least, the word illuminates. The word actually is a guiding light in our lives today. You wondering what to do next? You wondering what decision to make, what you should do here or there? You consult the word. Because the psalmist says that your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It shines the light. It shows the way down the narrow path. The word of God. The word. The word of God. We stake our lives on the word of God. Our unshakable foundation, food for our souls, our weapon in the battle. Really quick, how do you make the word work in your life? What does that look like? What does it look like to, to stake your life on the word? I have three things. I want you to get these down. I want you to remember these. Three ways that we use the word and we stake our lives on it. First thing you have to do, this is your job. You have to read it. I don't like to read, too bad. You have to read it. You have to get into the word. Do you know that there's apps with audio Bibles now? Listen then. You've got to get the word of God past your mind and into your heart. You have to get the seed of God's word into your life if you're gonna bear actual spiritual fruit. It will not come any other way. You have got to read your Bible. You have got to get into the word. It is our yearly bread. No, our monthly bread. No, weekly bread, no. Daily bread, every day. You wouldn't go two days without eating. You shouldn't. Unless you're fasting. That's a good thing. We talk about that sometime. You wouldn't. Don't make your soul malnourished. Don't deprive your soul. Get it into you every day. It's our daily bread. You need to read it. I want to help you do that. We're going to do a couple things together. Uh, first thing, again, if you don't have a Bible, get one on your way out. That's our gift to you. If you don't own one, take one. That's our joy to give that to you. That is your daily bread. Get into it. If you don't understand what you're reading, join the club. The Bible is not that easy to understand. We want to connect you in. We've got some classes and courses here that help open up the Bible so you can understand it. You can sign up on that grow card in your, sheet, in your, in your seat. But get it into you. 
The other thing I'm gonna do is I, I've been feeling God just press in on me like, I want you, I wanna, I wanna memorize a bunch of scripture. I wanna be when I'm 80 years old and my grandsons come up to me, I want them to say, I want them to say about me someday, oh man, no one knew the Bible like my grandfather. He could just sit there and quote it. I want it to be so in, in me that that's all that comes out of me. And so I'm gonna start trying to memorize scripture and once a week, we did that daily spark thing. Now we're gonna do our, our, our verse of the week. And we're gonna send out a, a text or a uh, thing online on Facebook and on our app. And we're gonna do a verse of the week where we're just gonna send out a verse that we're gonna try to memorize together. So this week we're gonna do Psalm 40 verse eight. We read it at the start. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. You can do that, right? So we're gonna start memorizing scripture. So first thing, read it, get it in you, amen? Second thing you have to do is do it. Do it, walk it out. You see, so many of us, we think that it's enough just to agree with it and believe it. But there's a lot of people in the church that are essentially like, uh, one, one person's called it like practical atheism. You believe in a God, but it has no actual implications on how you live your life. Jesus did not say, the one who agrees with my word is wise. He said, the one who hears my word and does it has built their life on the rock. You see, James at one point was talking to some of the first Christians. He said, congratulations, you believe. So do demons. He says, don't just be hearers of the word, be doers of the word. We have to get obedient to what we hear, not to pop culture, not to what's on vogue, not to what we think is right, not to what we read is right, to what the word of God says. We have to obey it, walk it out, do it. So read it, do it. Finally this, say it, say it out loud. Start speaking the word of God into your life. Get up in the morning and proclaim the word of God over you. Speak the word of God into your children. Speak the word of God into your marriage. Speak the word of God over our church. Speak the word of God over our city. God has equipped you with a mighty weapon. Start using it. Start saying it. Start spreading the seed of God's word. You are a warrior. Not just me. Not just pastors. Not just professional Christians. You are the body of Christ. You are a warrior. God has put the sword of the Spirit in your hands. You need to start swinging it. Amen? You feel that? I'm getting excited. I want you to know God has equipped you. Read it. Do it. Say it. We stake our lives on the Word of God, our unshakable foundation, food for our souls, our weapon in the battle. One Old hymn writer wrote that like this. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand, all other ground is sinking sand. Would you stand with me? Father, we stand on your word today. Lord, would you teach us to rely on it as daily bread? Would you help us walk it out in obedience? Would you help us be doers of the word, not just hearers? 
Will we not settle to think that it's right, but to actually test it, to taste and see that the Lord is good, to walk out and find that your word is true, it is unfailing, it never ends, it's faithful. So God, would you help us build our lives firmly on the word? Would you help us build this church firmly on the word? And would you help us call the city of St. John and the region of Atlanta, Canada and the, and the nation of Canada and the entire world to find safe haven and anchor and refuge and salvation in the word of God and the word alone. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for saving us. We thank you for providing for us today. We thank you for daily bread. We thank you for this weapon in the battle, Lord. Would you teach us how to walk in and on and through the word of God? We love you. We praise you. And all God's people said, amen, amen.